episode 100 of Cowboys Ride Through the Podcast. Yes, this is episode 100. Thank you to everyone that has listened and has gotten us to this point. Obviously, we've been doing two uploads since August, so we've gotten here a little bit quicker than probably would have in the past, but we appreciate anyone who's listened to the previous 99. Uh, my name is Joel Penfield. Tonight, I'm joined by Robert Wetzel, one of the original site managers of the site, and helped get this thing off the ground. How are you doing tonight? Doing fantastic, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. I'm glad Philip had a kid and couldn't be here. I know, man, but I feel like we would have gotten another voice on here so they don't have to listen to me ramble for most of this thing. So, you know, I, he'll be back next week, I'm pretty sure. So we'll uh, we'll get a few more uploads up here. If we're, of course, academics are starting to get in the way of my uh, my podcast recording. So that's why we it's been a little bit uh, not as frequent, unfortunately. Yeah, academics are... Uh... Well, let's put it this way. By my stage of life, academics are highly overrated. <laughs> I, I can say as someone that's graduating in May, my academics feel highly overrated. But I also need to, you know, walk across the stage and, uh, you know, grab a hold of the most expensive piece of paper I'll ever own here in a few months. So, right. That's, that, that, that per square inch, that piece of paper is very expensive. <laughs> it is. That's for sure. I'm actually Episode in the middle. 100. Yeah. So. 100. I am in uh I'm in the middle of a week where I have four tests. I just took my first one today recording on Tuesday and I still have three more. I'll be done Tuesday or Thursday evening and then uh I have the rest of the weekend I can relax. But I'm just trying to get there and I'm using this as a study break or if you want to call it procrastination, you can do that too. But you know, that's fine. Yeah, no. I'm I'm just still astonished and I feel like six months ago I was reading about episode like 70 i know yeah it, it's gone by really quick and but I, i've loved you know just doing a couple episodes a week it's helped kind of get me out of that academic kind of monotony and that funk and i can just cut in a couple of days a week and just kind of you know detox a little bit and just talk about some sports which is the reason why i love doing podcasts and why i love being able to just you know talk about sports because that's really what I do about 95% of the things that come out of my mouth anyway. So as long as I can get it on airwaves, you know, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. I, I, my, one of my biggest, uh, yeah, I don't know. One of my biggest flaws is trying to work from home when there's a little OSU sports activity. It's really hard for me to step away from our Slack chat and Twitter. It's really difficult for me to like put that down. I, I can attest to that as well. Trying to study and watch an Oklahoma State basketball game, I don't do any studying. I just watch the game because I know I'm going to have to talk about it eventually. So, Well, depending on your outlook, you could watch the game until the last five or ten minutes, and then you can start studying. Right. So. Yeah, that's also a good point. But, you know, <laughs> I, gotta, I, I still got to talk about the game a little bit, you know, and – you know, this, this basketball season, this is actually a perfect segue talking about basketball. Um, you know, this season's obviously been rough and, you know, they're not winning the game. You know, many games, obviously circumstances of the season have kind of, you know, hampered that a little bit. But what kind of positives have you been able to take away from the season, you know, so far? Obviously, we still got about halfway through conference play to go. You know, coming off a couple tough losses this season, you know, this week, losing by one on a buzzer beater to TCU. That was just a... That was a great play by the guy being able to get that shot off over Yorinay and then gave KU a run for about 30 minutes. Obviously, then KU did the Allen Field, the patented uh, Allen Fieldhouse run. But I feel like there's so many positives to be able to take away from this season, at least so far. Well, I'd agree with you. I'm, you know, it's it's frustrating for Oklahoma State fans. I, I think it's one of those things where we feel you feel like it's right there. You feel like success is not as far away as like the record, you know, is it's, you feel like it's really close. Uh, and you know, are we waiting, you know, after Boynton's uh, first year, which was really impressive um, to feel like we kind of have to take a step back. You know, I think a lot of folks are starting to feel, you know, some momentum and then the, and then coach has got to get rid of guys. And, I'll I'll be the first one. Like Gundy's first year, I got no problem. I mean, if he's got to get rid of guys to establish that, uh, you know, that reputation as a coach, that you know, I'm not. You know, look, you, you're going to come here, you're going to work. I don't care who you are. Everybody's got to work hard, and everybody's got to, you know, play by the rules. Um, 
I'm all for that. And the kids he's got left, um, I, 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 my biggest shout out. I mean, I think my two biggest shout outs. One, you're an A. He, wow. I mean, wow. He's he's just such a leap in the last you know three weeks, right? And then my other shout out is Dezagua. That guy is not some defensive dude, right? But he's out there playing as hard as he can play. And when they talk to him after a game, he's saying all the right things. He's, he's being, you know, he's being a leader. I mean, and that, to me, and I said, I tweeted this out when this whole thing really kind of started to, to unfold, that you couldn't have, I don't think, I mean, and look, I don't know the kids, but based on what we see and how they play and, and what they give to the program, those three kids, Waters, Dezagua, and, uh, and uh, McGriff, for what they give to the team, for what they're giving to the program right now, you know, I just, they don't deserve to have this happen to them. They don't deserve to have, you know, Coach Boynton to have to kick some guys off the field. They, they, it's good. It's great. They're carrying the program. And I think what they're doing this year, uh, they're all, they're all three back, right? They're all three back next year. Should be. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think what those guys are carrying through this season is going to make a gargantuan impact next season. And, and I think that'll be their payoff because, uh, th- those guys, you know, just I'm impressed with what they're doing and how hard they're playing. I mean, look, if KU doesn't go Villanova in the there in the second half at Allen Field, they were giving KU a game. They were, yeah. And even still, when and, they were, you know, the game was kind of in hand with KU. It wasn't like they were letting up either. They still, yeah, they, they lost by 12 points, something like that. Considering yes. the run that KU went on there, you know, right after about the under eight timeout is kind of when things yeah. started to shift, but. You know, I can't fault these guys. It's six, seven guys, really. Six, considering DeMuth has been hurt and has been playing through that, only playing four or five minutes. Essentially, they're playing six guys and are giving and gave the, you know, the best team for the last 15 years in the Big 12. Another run in Allen Fieldhouse, just like they did last season. So I can't take too much away from that performance. No, no. And it's, you know, I think now for them, it's going to be a question of heart versus legs. Yeah. Because these minutes, you know, these minutes are going to take their toll. And I would, I would say the last two to three games of the season, whether it's road games, senior night, whatever it is, uh, I think what, those got, what you see those guys give, all of them, not just the three captains, but all of them, uh, is going to be a harbinger you know, of next season, because if Boynton can, can coach, can coax out of them, not just coach, but coax out of them a hundred percent, you know, out of the gas tank right up to the end of the season. That's, I love the comment, by the way, Boynton said, he says, whatever that thing is in people that, that makes them quit. He goes, I don't have that. I want that statement injected directly into my veins. Like right. I need that. That, that's yeah, the kind no, of stuff that, that like that, I feel like anything he says just makes me want to run through a brick wall. And if he yeah. can do that to a fan and someone that will never step on the court at Eddie Sutton Court in Gallagher Arena, I can only imagine what he does for the guys that he is coaching every day and sees every day for hours on end and you know right. on the floor. Right, and it's one thing from a coaching perspective. It's one thing you know a lot of people talk about being a player's coach, right? And uh, and I I think as a as a, a great coach, you have to be somewhere in between. I agree. Right? You gotta be you've gotta be the type of coach that the players have a little bit of that God fear of, almost like a parent, right? If you're doing parenting right, there's a level at which your child is afraid of holy mackerel, he's that dude's gonna take me out if I really cross the line. But then at the same time, there should never be any question in the player's heart that you love them, that you will go to the mat for them, 
that you will defend them. And, and that's, that's a skill as a coach. That is a, is a real skill um, that gets developed over time. Um, I think it's part of the reason why Bobby Knight probably flamed out a little earlier than he, than, you know, he could have. Uh, cause I think he was, he was a guy that was just, he was a hard nose and it was his way and it, there was no other way. And, and he, and he, you know, anyway, that's a side, that's a tangent, but I think Boynton, I think Boynton is wired correctly. I think the only thing, the only thing that potentially everybody kind of wonders about is his ability. Number one, to recruit people who can stay in the program. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. I mean, that's where. You know, his first, this was his first, let's see, who uh, was, Yorane was his first signee, right? Yes, I think. He was. That was his first signee. Then he got, uh, he got Curtis Jones. Yeah, because no. he got him mid-semester. And then he put together that's the right. end of the recruiting class when Seema and Shine decided to leave. And that's when he got Jones and Kalu. Oh, okay, okay. Because DeMuth so, was somewhere in between. Uh, I think he was in between Anae and Jones, something like that. Right. Okay. So, so the question then becomes: I mean, you got, you know, th- three of his five, three out of his five initial recruits. Is that is that an accurate? Well, Cunningham was a grad transfer that came in at the end of the year, so he left the program. I don't think that was necessarily a a right, right. door oh, right. on the way yeah. out, right? Right. But then, so Weathers, Kalu, and Jones, so three out of the, the five. So if you say, not Jones, uh, Weathers, Kalu, and, well, Contravious Jones, Contravious right? Contravious Jones, and then Mike yeah. Cunningham. So you have four guys essentially leave the program in the middle of right. the season. So, so if you don't count uh, Cunningham against him, right? So if he has Anae... Curtis Jones, Contravious Jones, Cunningham, Weathers, and uh, who am I? Kalu. Kalu, right? So there's six. So three out of his six kind of initial recruits flamed out. So that's the only thing I would say is kind of hanging out there. And I would give him a pass. Only for the reason that he was trying to fill, you know, he's he's scrambling to fill spots. Right. Right. You're scrambling to fill spots, and so you're looking for warm bodies that that can play basketball, right? And Weathers could play. Dude could play. Uh, Kalu hadn't realized kind of some expectations, I think. Contravious Jones was always kind of a, a guy who people thought might, you know, he might go away because of whatever, but... It, that'll be. The, I think that's the only thing is you know to see now the kind of kids he's bringing in as freshmen, for the most part, right? Um, so I, I don't think there's any arguing that from a recruiting standpoint he's definitely capable. Um, so we'll we'll see. I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm on, listen. I'm on the Boynton bandwagon. I'm not jumping off. And I think those three captains that, that are going to be back next year, uh, Curtis Jones is back, DeMuth is back. Uh, you know, you've got plenty of kids in the program to maintain the momentum of the culture you're trying to establish, I think. No, absolutely. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off the points that you made with Zagwa and Ane at the beginning of your statement. And I'll start it with the, you know, something I got right and something I got wrong. So I wrote a piece when I went to the open practice that Boynton did before the first preseason game against Washington Baptist. And I talked about the first, I'll start with what I got right. And the most vocal guy that I saw on the floor was Thomas Zazagua. And it looked like he had truly embraced that leadership role. It was he and McGriff were really the most vocal guys. Obviously, Lindy was in there as well. But Zazagua, it felt like his mouth was running the entire practice just talking to guys, encouraging them, just being that leader on the floor. And we've seen that in his play. It's definitely elevated from the last two years. And he's moving up the ranks in three-point shooting. He's scoring more. He's averaging, I think, 11 a game or something like that. So he's make, he's becoming more of a 
moving from a role player into someone that you can rely on to knock down shots. And obviously, as a three-point shooter, it's kind of hard to move out of that role. But he's becoming more than that, in my opinion. And he's starting to look a little bit better on the defensive side of things. He's more consistent shooting the ball. And I like what he's bringing, and I think my assessment there was correct. Because he was ele- he was elevating that role, so he was elevating his game, you know, right along it. But where I was wrong was about Yorane. I said that he looked like, you know, he probably was going to get what Contravius Jones was getting, which was little to no minutes. And because he just looked so skinny, he was kind of getting bullied around in some drills, and I just didn't see it. Now, I saw the potential, but I just didn't see the initial freshman on the floor for 30, 25, 30 minutes. And sure as heck, he has proved me wrong since game one. And I completely own that. And I probably said that three or four times on this <laughs> podcast of he has definitely been, he's been a revelation, truly. Like he has been one of the best players on this team consistently all season long. And I have a, a stat here, and this is from Nathan Ruiz of the Oklahoman. This was before the Kansas game, so I don't have the stats you know, it's kind of averaged things out since then. But after the TCU game, so it's been five games since the guys uh, were kicked off the team, Jones, Kalu, and Weathers. But in those five games, Yorane is averaging 10.6 points a game, 7.4 rebounds, 2.2 blocks, in about 31 minutes. Now, what we saw a lot before that was he was getting in a ton of foul trouble, obviously a freshman thing. He was just going to do that. He was starting to jump more. Since then, he's only averaging 2.8 fouls per 40 minutes. I don't think he's fouled out of a single game since then. So you see the maturation that's happening on the floor right away, kind of baptism by fire, but it's working. And he had 20 points. He didn't He didn't miss from the floor against TCU. The only shot he missed was a free throw. And even then, he's been really good at the line since, you know, pretty much since the turn of the new year. So he's a guy that Oklahoma State can rely on. And I, I think I tweeted this. And I just said, Yorane is the best big man Oklahoma State has had since, question mark. He's been the best guy since probably some guy that I can't name because I've really been only following Oklahoma State basketball for the last decade (laughs) consistently. I've been an Oklahoma State fan my whole life, but I've not followed it that closely really since before the Ford era, to be completely honest. Uh, Full disclosure here. But true post player, I can't think of a single guy that has been as good as him in at least in the last 10 years. True back-to-the-basket oh, guy. right? Because oh. someone said Marshall Moses, but Marshall Moses was athletic as hell. And that dude could you know, play beyond you know, 15 feet. He's not necessarily there yet. But son of a gun, that guy is good. Ane has been a revelation this season, as I mentioned before. And I can only imagine how good he's going to be in not even next year, but the, ne- but the year after that. Holy crap, he's going to be an all-conference player. Honestly. Yeah, no, I would, uh, listen, I would say this. So uh, since you're lacking historical perspective here, Joel. Yes. Uh, let's, let's put it this way. I think he is, without question, the best pure post player since Byron Houston. Oh, I think uh, okay. Moving back. Even, Houston, was that, yeah, late 90s? Houston, came, Houston came after you. Yeah, Byron came after big country. Right. So so you've got big country, Byron Houston. I think both were really, really good, true post players, back to the basket post players. Um, Ane, his his abilities right around the basket with the ball. Like he like he gets the ball and all of a sudden like, no, 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 you're not shooting that. And all of a sudden the ball goes in. Right. <laughs> little right around the block. You know, Bryant Reeves was his little turnaround jumper from about a pace, probably a step or so outside the block on the baseline was was almost unstoppable. And Byron Houston had a had a neat little had a neat little jumper he could nail from about, you know, twelve feet or ten, twelve feet or so. Yorane's ability and agility right in around the basket, it doesn't look pretty a lot of the time. But it goes in but and that's he, all that matters. To get the ball up, and so shockingly enough, he's okay with either hand, mm-hmm. which you would assume based on his, his issues with, you know, with his right hand, the, the, you know, the injury or whatever where he lost fingers, that, oh, well, his right hand is no good. I've seen him like 
spin and lay it up off the you know off off the right hand. It's like I think that guy, and I don't think there. I don't think uh, body wise. I don't think you're going to see him add all that much weight to him. I mean, he'll gain a little thickness, but I don't think it. I don't think he's going to drastically. You know, this isn't one of these deals where you're going to look at him in two years and go, "Oh my God, it's not even the same human being." Um, but his his agility uh, is kind of surprising as a freshman. You know, I, I've been impressed. I think I think that guy, you know, barring injuries, anything like that, knock on wood, that guy is gonna is gonna end up being really some kind of you know. Uh, true post player, he, his name will, his name could has the potential of ending up among the you know when you talk about Bob Curland and you talk about Big Country and you talk about Byron Houston people he's got the potential to end up in that to end up in that conversation. So for a little bit of perspective, I am 22 years old, so I haven't had a full memory of Oklahoma State basketball. I remember my my bit my first real memory of Oklahoma State sports was when I was in first grade. I want to say was when Oklahoma State went to the Final Four in that year in 2003 2004. And I remember my dad let me stay up. My dad let me stay up. My dad let me stay up to watch that the Elite Eight game, and I watched John Lucas hit that shot against St. Joseph to go to the Final Four. So that's about like one of the first memories I really have of Oklahoma State sports. So while I don't let's, have the historical perspective, at least I can admit yeah. that, and I'm not trying to talk about things I don't know. Let's just to put that in perspective. Uh, I was I had just met and was dating my second wife, my my lovely current wife. All right, or she likes to say my last wife. And, there you go. That's uh, a better way to put it. Right, and she bought me. OSU like little slip on socks, nice. like house house socks, because Oklahoma State made it to the Final Four that year. Yeah, and so my my first memory was listening to Oklahoma State basketball in the seventies, and there was a guard named Randy Wright, and all I ever remember about Randy Wright is is the the radio announcer, you know. Talk, you know, Wright goes in and he misses the layup. <laughs> I think Randy Wright probably has the record at Oklahoma State for most missed layups. Uh, <laughs> I was I was there when uh, Eddie Halfcourt Hannon hit the shot to beat Louisville in nineteen fall of eighty or eighty one. Uh, it was the year after Louisville won the uh, national championship. They'd lost to Tulsa uh, that week earlier that week. And came to Gallagher Iba, and I was in the third or fourth row um, on the on the uh, east side uh, on the floor, and I'll never forget him hitting that shot, and us just like a wave. We just it was like a wave. We jumped, and we just like a wave crashing on the beach. We crashed on the floor, uh, and that was that was crazy. But yeah, it's I think. Um, well, let's put it this way. He's got potential. Now, not to dog potential here, Joel, but how about likely? He's another guy I was about to burn. He had 17 in that game. He really brought back Oklahoma State in that game, along with the Nay. I mean, we didn't really get the greatest performance from any of the three. I mean, Dezogwa hit the shot to tie the game that eventually, obviously, TCU ended up winning the game. But, you know, and not to take anything away from that shot from Dezogwa because that was clutch. But I right. didn't see the greatest performance from McGriff. He, he fouled out. And then, you know, we didn't see the greatest performance from Lindy. And then we haven't seen, but he's all, he's also been hurt. And he's nursed. Yeah. Yeah. So to see two freshmen essentially lead the charge back in the second half says so much about their maturation on the floor and what Boynton's able to do coaching them. And they are just, I can't even imagine two years from now how good they're going to be. Truly. Right. And I'll say this. So a lot of people try to come up with, well, what's the comp for uh, likely? And I'm going to pull a rabbit out of the hat here. I'm going to go back to the days of Eddie Halfcourt Hannon. Uh, uh, Clark, Matt Clark was a guard and likely reminds me a lot of him that anything outside of about 10, 12 feet, dude, the dude's not shooting. 
he's, he's just yeah. not going to shoot the ball. Yeah. But it is so hard to stay in front of him going to the basket because, you know, like a Marcus Smart or a Matt Clark, they, they have the body. Like he's, he's got some width. People underestimate from a basketball perspective. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Moses Malone was the famous NBA player mm-hmm. who the dude just never looked like he could really jump or anything. Charles Barkley was a better jumper, a better leaper, but the two of those guys, they were broad. They took up a lot of space, and there's something to be said for that. When you have that space, that, you know, six inches or a foot right or left is the same, you know, that takes away another foot or, or so up above. So it's 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 some physics stuff there that we're not going to dive into here. But I'm not smart enough I, for that. Uh, well, neither am I. So. Uh, I just think likely, you know, likely's definitely the best pure freshman point guard since we had Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, no question about that. No Smart question. was a little, little better outside shooter. Um, and I think likely's got to develop that. Uh, or I think teams are just going to start to do the, uh, the Doug Gottlieb defense where they just, they're just going to sit back and say, you want to shoot? You go ahead and shoot. We're not going to let you go to the basket, you know. So well, what I will say is at least, you know, even though he may not necessarily pose that outside threat, at least he has the confidence to take some of those shots, at least have the defense give him a little bit of that respect. And I think they'll I'm guaranteed they're going to work on his shot this offseason. And I think next year he may not be always automatic like we see with Lindy Waters and Thomas Azagua, but at least he'll pose that threat. But what I love from him is that at six four, he's taking up the ball, but he can guard one, two, three, four. Oh and yeah. Lock them up. And I, I love that, especially that's the way Boynton wants to play the game, is that he, he said from day one, our program is going to be based on hard-nosed man-to-man defense. Everything else will work itself out. And he is the epitome of that. And obviously, Boynton saw something in him late in that recruiting cycle to be able to get him. And I mean, he was going to go to Fresno State. And right now, he's playing in probably the best basketball conference, top to bottom, in the country, locking guys up night in, night out. So. Right. We're seeing what he's going to be. And obviously, as a freshman, we see mistakes every once in a while. Who cares? It's a freshman. It's going to happen and not a McDonald's All-American freshman, you know. So who cares? Likely's a stud. And I've been I've loved him since day one. Obviously, Ane has, you know, turned my head quite a bit. What we're seeing now, and then we have a top 20 class coming next year, Boone Twins. Marcus Watson, who, by the way, Marcus Watson's going to be insanely fun to watch. Avery Anderson. Yeah along with guys like Lindy Waters and, Desa- and Desagua and McGriff as seniors, I think we're going to see a huge step forward from the program next year. It may not be great, maybe from, you know, ninth to seventh, but we're going to start seeing those steps forward, and I don't think we'll see those same steps back like we've seen this year. Now, I so here's, here's a question for you. Is Lindy Waters capable of being Jimmy Chitwood? Can you elaborate on that real quick? I, I, I've seen I've seen Hoosiers, but so my point being is he capable? I'm not talking about physically because the dude is one of the purest shooters I've ever seen at Oklahoma State. I mean, there's guys that could shoot, but their motion didn't look pretty. Like it wasn't like you're Forte like, or Page, you know those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this his stroke is so ridiculously it's beautiful. It's pretty. It's everything he shoots. You're like, when it doesn't go in, it's like, what the hell was that? Right. Okay. But mentally, is he capable of being a guy who would say, give me the ball, I'm going to go get my shot, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill it? Because he doesn't, I'm not getting that from him. Now, some of it could be he's, you know, he's got a little nagging, kind of lingering deal with the, the tendonitis in the knee. But he's a dude, you know, at this point in his career, this is his, you know, third third full year of playing. I don't think his ability to shoot is in any question. And I don't see a guy who's like, hey, man, if I'm open, I'm pulling the trigger. Because he's, he's, like, hesitated a lot. And I agree, and that's been kind of my biggest thing. And I've I've mentioned that on earlier podcasts, early you know, early on in the season. And 
you know, that's always been kind of a frustrating thing for me with him. Now, we also I also saw him kind of start slow last year as well. So I wasn't going to put too much stock into it because I knew he would kind of move into like what we saw at the end of last year. Where he was just a sniper and was just automatic, you know, night in, night out. And we've seen that at times this year. The South Carolina game, to me, was, I thought, you know, a turning point for him. Or even though he didn't have his greatest shooting night, I think he went 5-13 of 13 or something like that. But he was aggressive, and he was looking for a shot. And when the shot was there, he was going to take it. And then I just haven't seen that since. I think a lot of it is the kind of the pressure that Boynton has put on him of, you are going to be a guy for me, and I need you to handle the ball. And I think he's focusing more on facilitating more than shooting at times. And I could be wrong on that. But I think that's what I'm seeing right now. I definitely think he's as good as he is. He is more of a role player than a guy that is a go-to number one guy for a team. And I think we will honestly see a better Lindy Waters next year when there's more talent on the floor as freshmen than what we are seeing this year. And as good as he is now, and to me, he's an all-conference guy, maybe not first or second team, but he will be on the all-conference list somewhere. We will see a better Lindy Waters next year when there's someone that can handle the ball consistently and get him open shots. So that's my two cents on it. No, I'm I'm with you. I'm a hundred. I was that I was in. I was formulating that thought, but I didn't want to hog all the airtime. And you you stepped right into it beautifully. I think that's a great take. I think he is. He will always be a much better player when he is not the focus. It's kind of like what we saw with Jeffrey Carroll last year. Yeah. Honestly, his, I think Jeffrey Carroll's junior year was his best year when he had Jawan Evans at point guard. He was still really, really good his senior year, but he just wasn't as good because he didn't have someone to kind of take that focus off him just, uh, just enough to get him that open shot. And I yeah. think we're going to see the same thing, but it'll be, instead of what we're seeing right now with Lindy. And I think it would be a little bit different if Michael Weathers was still on the floor and some of these other guys, instead of Lindy being a focal point, I think next year we'll see an even better guy, you know, because he's not necessarily always going to be that focal point or there's more talent on the floor and he's able to get an open shot because they're kind of looking away from just that half second. Because if he gets that half second, oh man, that ball's going in. (laughs) Uh, It's like, who's got a quicker trigger than Desagua? Holy crap. It never looks like he's set. No, he and that's the kind of the, that's the fascinating thing for me is that he and Lindy are obviously two great shooters, but they're two very different shooters. To me, Lindy is much more of a lower body shooter. Like his his feet have to be set for him to be able to get his shoulder square to go. If Dezogwa's shoulders are somewhat square, he's going to pull. And the thing is, he he could be his feet could be looking toward Boynton at the freaking bench, and that ball and if his shoulders are facing the basket, he's going to go. And it works in two different ways, and it's fascinating. Yeah. Half the time, it looks like he's like sideways or he's moving sideways when he shoots the dang ball. But it goes in. and That's all that matters, right? It can look as ugly <laughs> right. as hell. I mean, Sean Marion made a, a career of having the ugliest shot in the NBA, but it went in. That's all that matters. It it. That's it. Exactly. Just, I'm just, you know, just giving you a warning that, I, that we're edging close to being uh, kind of having for the 100th podcast. You're edging close to being able to go 100 minutes. Yeah, you know, I feel like the conversation's good enough that I think people will somehow listen. They'll probably listen more to you than me. I think they'll just skip through that because they hear me enough. But I think this is going to be, I think this is still going to be a good episode. Now, before we go down another rabbit hole of talking about Oklahoma State basketball history, let's go into football for a second here. Um, Obviously, Philip and I have talked about Sean Gleason becoming the offensive coordinator, and there's another episode coming up later this week where I dive deeper into that, but uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll preview that for just a brief second. Um, and then obviously, bef- I haven't gotten to talk about it yet, but over the weekend, we see Josh Henson goes to Texas A&M, and then we're all sitting around in Slack going, I wonder who he's going to hire next, you know, how long is it going to be? And then the next day, he hires Charlie Dickey, who is the Bill Snyder's offensive line coach at Kansas State. And within a day, like not even, I don't even think it was 24 hours yet, and we had our new offensive line coach who has led some great offensive lines at Kansas State. Obviously, they played joyless murder ball in the Big 12 and just ran the ball down your throat. Their offensive lines were consistently always great, always churned out guys to the NFL. This, to me, was a slam dunk high, as a slam dunk a higher as you can get for Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State. And I think those two are going to work really well together, Gleason and Dickey. What, what, were some, what was your initial thought when you saw that uh, who Oklahoma State hired for offensive line? Oh, <laughs> so... 
I'll start this off with my my hot take. It didn't break my heart at all that Henson left. Okay. Uh, so he had a reputation as a recruiter, and I've said this on Twitter. I and look, I've coached on very amateurish levels, so I'm not. I'm, I've 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 only like briefly been an, a professional coach in another sport, so I have no idea. But my druthers, I would always rather have an Eddie Sutton than a Leonard, Leonard Hamilton. Okay. Okay. Because I don't care how good you can recruit, you have to be able to coach them up on the field. Yeah. And I think that while Josh Henson can go out and recruit guys, to me, if, you know, either you're recruiting to a level that when they trot out on the field, they just look different, or you're coaching them on a level that when they run plays, they look different. And to me, for all the yap about Josh Henson being a great recruiter, offensive line, and okay, you can talk about, you know, he didn't necessarily have that much time and whatnot. He wasn't such a great, I mean, look, he could be a great recruiter, but he wasn't bringing in kids that are going to like Bama or Texas. He's not bringing in beasts. He's bringing in kids you got to develop. So then you got to work with the kids you got. And the kids you've got weren't looking all that drastically different. It's not like our offensive line from uh, 2017 to 2018, you know, took a step forward. They they really, as far as I'm concerned, didn't take much of a step forward. In fact, they gave up more sacks last year than they did in in 2017, which some of that's, you know, the fault of, uh, you know, the quarterback situation, obviously. But I personally... Henson left, and I was like, okay, I'm kind of eager to see what's going on. And then when he hired Dickey within 24 hours, my first thought was, you had this in the hopper for about three weeks. Yeah. You, you don't just trot out the back door and go, hey, Charles, you want to come down to Oklahoma State and coach? My guy just left. So they had that. I'm sorry, but they had that thing cooking for a period of time. They were just waiting for the – I think they're just waiting for the official announcement from A&M to then make the official announcement about Dickey. Um, I love the hire. I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Love the hire. Love the hire. I think this is a step up. Uh, I think this is a chance. I think – obviously, if the guy – by what – based on what you said, you know, the – the the offensive line should look different. We should it should look different to us this coming year. What we get out of the offensive line should look different. I would expect Oklahoma State when they need to get a yard, then you feel like yeah they're going to go out there and they're going to get a yard. You know that's I just I would expect them to look different and I think that this intersection of the offensive coordinator and this new offensive line coach is it might be the most fascinating hires, dual hires Gundy's ever made. Same side of the ball. Um, I my take on Yursich leaving is somewhat similar to Henson leaving. I think Yursich was a good offensive coordinator, wasn't the greatest. Um, more of his offense ended up in the bottom half of my article I did a number of weeks ago about non-scoring drives. Uh, his Four out of his six offenses ended up in the bottom half of, of those rankings. So I think the, uh, the hire of Gleason, uh, I'm very interested to see what he does because he showed in his last two years at Princeton a far more – a far greater willingness to adapt to, I would call it radical adaptation. So two years ago, he had a pocket passer, right? And that's how he designed that offense. And last year, he had a Colin Klein with a better passing arm. And so he completely, totally retooled, I say retooled is a bad word. He totally adapted his offense to that specific guy's thing. And I think the fact that you've got an offensive coordinator 
and an offensive line coach that are both coming out of systems that featured the cube run game as a not just a, a decoy thing, but this is a major part of the offensive game plan. The willingness to take the quarterback and not just flare him out on like a zone read keeper that's more like a naked bootleg where you catch the defense off guard. You're talking power running game where you're going at people and the QBs going right up in the middle of the of the soldiers, man. And my question in that, and I'm I'm loving the idea that these guys can adapt to the talent you have. My biggest question there is, is Mike Gundy going to let them run Sanders or Drew Brown on the QB power run game, say, 25 or 30 percent of the time? I mean, big question mark. Is he going to let these is he going to let Gleason have Drew Brown and, and Sanders on the field at the same time? Oh, I really? love that. <laughs> <laughs> just for, yeah, like, I mean, if you go back to that interview that I did with Dan Casey last week, which was awesome, just a little bit of insight. You know, Incredible. Incredible. Else. Yeah. And he said that when when he played at Davidson College and they played Princeton, they had two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. I don't think Gundy's going to let him go that crazy, at least in year one. But I, I think it'll at least be interesting to see how the two work together. And I think the air raid, I think it's fascinating how Gleason has so many air raid concepts, at least in his passing game, but his running game is very, we're going to run this thing down your throat and you're not going to stop it. And that works just like what Charlie Dickey ran assignment wise. And obviously Adam Lunt's going to be able to talk about this a little bit more than I would, but you know, from an assignment perspective, they ran very similar up the gut between the tackles, you know, running game. And I feel like those two are going to mesh so well. If they can get that to work, holy crap, it's going to be awesome. Now, to your point about whether we see Brown or Sanders running the ball 20%, 30% of the time, you know, if that's the style of offense they want to go to, I'd rather see Sanders. I think Drew Brown is athletic, but I don't want to see him running the ball that much. I don't know if he can do that. I think he can extend plays outside the pocket, but I think Sanders is the better runner of the two, at least in my estimation now. The spring game will tell us a lot more when we actually see them in a little bit of game <laughs> style, you know, because granted, we haven't seen either guy run the ball yet or actually run the offense. I'm just dying because you think the spring game, we're going to learn something. <laughs> Maybe we'll learn something. Who knows? I don't want to have to wait till freaking August to learn anything. You know, I want to be able to talk about it. Dang it. <laughs> I know we're all dying now. We've got these new people coming in. Exactly. Uh, I'm I'm really fascinated because I don't you know I'm it's very interesting to me. I watched a little bit of the tape uh, of Princeton over the last whatever you could find over the last couple of years, and it's it's very interesting because the sense is you know even Gundy alluded to it when he was you know talking to uh, Princeton's head coach about you know how fast they play you know that yeah. that was I love uh, no, that quote by the fast. way well and and that even goes back to to my post about um the uh the non-scoring you know drives where i made note that oklahoma state you know last year i have to I have to go back and look but I, they ran like 13ish eligible non you know drives a game not non-scoring drives but 13-ish eligible drives per game not counting end of game or end of half and and overtime or anything like that and and I felt like Oklahoma State did a much better job of using speed uh judiciously right there's times when you want to suck the air out of the clock and you know there's times where you want to jump on a defense when you feel like you got them on their heels and I thought Oklahoma State did a pretty good job, a better job of that last year. I think, you know, if they're running 14 eligible drives a game, I think that's too much. I think that's speed for the sake of speed. But Princeton, who they think they're they're playing fast, both years, 2017, 2018. So 2017, you had a pure pocket passer. 2018, you had a running quarterback. Both seasons, they averaged 11, like 11.1 eligible drives per game hmm. two full drives less than Oklahoma State averaged 
this year. And, and Oklahoma State's only had like three offenses in the 14 years of Gundy. They've only had three offenses that averaged less than 12 eligible drives per game. So I think it'll be very interesting. Not, not so much how Gleason's style of play calling and style of, of plays uh, mesh with a Power 5 conference. I think it's going to be, hey, we need to go one or two drives faster a game. Can you handle that from a play calling perspective, right? right? Can you dial it up? Can you have your list there? And can you keep track and, and keep up with the game? Because we want to go faster than 11 eligible drives a game. Right. And, I, and this is something I thought about now, kind of going back to what uh, Charlie Dickey's going to bring to Oklahoma State on offense. I thought about this more from a kind of what Gundy talked about with an offensive coordinator. He wanted someone that's going to be able to stick around so they have a little bit of cohesion within the coaching staff because he wanted to get kind of like Yurcich that is able to stick around for a little while so they're not having to go through and cycle through coordinators and coaches every few years. If Charlie Dickey was at K-State with Bill Snyder for a long time, that tells me he's maybe not a guy that's looking for you know a bounce-back job. He seems like a guy that's going to be at Oklahoma State for a long time which I feel like Josh Henson wasn't going to be at Oklahoma State very long to begin with. He he seemed like this was not necessarily a rebound job. That's not the way to put it, but a guy that was going to look for a, a vertical move or you know something like that, or even a lateral move going to A&M where he can move into the SEC. Charlie Dickey's going to be here for a long time, I feel like. And that's going to do pay dividends for Oklahoma State for the next few years. I don't think Gleason's going to be a guy that's going to be here longer than three or four years, but I admire Gundy for at least going out and getting a guy that has just enough anonymity to him that maybe does not everyone knows who he is, but is someone who is on people's radar and people know who he is and know what he's going to bring to Oklahoma State. No, I I agree I agree with that. I think Dickey's a guy. Dickey's a guy who's he's. And I don't mean this to sound this way, but he's a guy on the he's on the back end of his full, you know, his full time career. Right. He's past halfway. If he was going to make big leaps and go to, you know, if, if his thing was he was to go to higher levels and do stuff, you know, go to Ohio State and bam and maybe make it to the NFL. I think he's the type of a guy not to say he's not capable of it, but if he wanted that, I think he would have been there. So he's the type of guy that if, that if he can work out at Oklahoma State. I absolutely agree that that he could he could be here five, six, seven, eight, you know, years type of a thing. Um, Gleason. Uh, well, let's just go back. Yursich was at Oklahoma State six years mm-hmm. because he was OK. All right. He was OK. He was an OK offensive coordinator, better than average, not earth shattering. All right. He was the beneficiary of uh, Rudolph to Washington. And, you know, some of that's his to his credit. Um, but he was there six years because he was OK. If Gleason comes in and he blows it up his first two years, I would not be shocked if he's if we're looking again in two years for an offensive coordinator. Wouldn't right. wouldn't be shocked at all. I mean, I'm with you uh, on that, but I also like I also don't mind that in a sense because Gundy has nailed it with pretty much every offensive coordinator he's brought into Oklahoma state. And I have no reservations that he can't do it again. So it's not like it's, you know, he's nailed it with every offensive coordinator. And I still think your was a good offensive coordinator. I don't think that was a miss by any stretch. It can no. he was able to keep a guy around for six years. So if we have to do it again in two years, I go, okay, let's see who Gundy brings in this time. And I don't think it's, I don't think he's going to miss at all. And I, I think, I think the thing would be, well, you know, if his miss, let's put it this way, if his miss is Mike Yersich, that's not a bad miss. I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. Right. I think you have to, on some level, I think Gundy's got to embrace the fact that Oklahoma State, you know, listen, if you don't want Oklahoma State to be, uh, you know, a stepping stone for these guys then you need to sack up and give back a million a year of what you're making and let that go to those coordinators. because or a special teams coordinator. Uh, that's not even – I was, <laughs> I didn't want to give anyone like a Vietnam flashback, but 
God almighty, why did you have to do that? I I'm was sorry, feeling... I, I had to. Philip's not here, and he's the one that's always done it, so I felt like I needed to bring it in at some point. I, I, was, I, I, was, I, I was feeling so good about where I was going there. <laughs> you just sucked me into the vortex right there. I, I'm sorry, I had to. No, but my, my point was, if you took a million off of Gundy's thing, like he needs it, okay, and you took that extra half a million and split it between your offensive and defensive coordinators, that's another year or two at least. At least you could bleed out of those positions with a guy who's good, really good. Like you could maybe go out, you could maybe even hire a little higher up the food chain type of a thing. Maybe you steal a good guy from a, you know, a Power 5 program, right? Who knows? But I just I think Gundy has to embrace the fact that Look it, I want to go out and find the best guy I can find. And, you know, if I'm only going to have him two years, then that's what it is. But you got to find the best people you can find. That's, you know, to, to hire, if you're, you can't have at this level of play, you cannot have the attitude of, I need to try to hire a guy I can keep here for five or six years. Right. No, you need to hire talent first. Hire talent first. Then figure out if you can keep them an extra year or two because it's Oklahoma State. You're not going to keep somebody from going to Ohio State or Alabama or you know who you know. We're not going to have anybody go to OU from OSU, but uh, God Just forbid blue that. Blue blood programs. I kind of get what you're getting at here. Yeah, right. Blue blood programs that are that have the money that are going to pay Texas A&M, Texas. You know who are who can pay that money. And offer the opportunity to work with you know four and five star athletes uh, at every at every turn. Um, you just have to accept that's the case. And I think the sooner you embrace that, the sooner you're willing to go out and just find that talented guy who's looking for his opportunity. And and there's no reason you can't keep a guy a couple of years. There's no reason. Absolutely. And maybe you find that right guy. You know, maybe you luck across that guy who says, you know what. This I like this. I want to go someplace, have success, you know, and I'll I'll hang at Oklahoma State for uh, four or five years. You know, uh, I just I just don't like the attitude that you're trying to hire to keep a guy for five or six years. That's that's not a good way to hire people. Yeah, I think there's a difference between trying to have cohesion and longevity in your coaching staff and sacrificing talent. And I think he went away from that here, when, even though he was talking about wanting to when your initially left wanting to have a guy around for a while. And he went completely away from that hiring Gleason in a guy that I don't think will be here longer than three years, at least in right now. Now, if he's here longer than that, then shoot, Gundy's doing something right. And Oklahoma State's offense is freaking ridiculous. So uh, it's going to be, it's exciting. And I'm, I'm fascinated for what's going to happen next year. I'm even more excited now than I was, you know, once football season ended. Now I'm, I'm ready to go and watch what's the product that's going to be on the field now. It's going to be fun. Oh yeah, no. I think I think those two hires, you know, definitely after you know after a season where we all kind of went eh, but then we had a nice bowl win, uh, and then you had you know departures with players and the transfer stuff, and uh, and then you have departures with the coaches. Um, I think these two hires, you definitely com- completely change. Uh, the attitude people would have going into next year. I mean, I think people would have been excited going into next season just because of Spencer Sanders. Right. But I think now, you know, that definitely, uh, it's definitely going to make the summer doldrums suck even more. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to be like, oh, how many days? We got we're, how many we're months? We're writing every hypothetical piece we possibly can for the site, <laughs> trying to just get ourselves through the long off season. Who's going to, you got to put up, I did this a couple of years ago. So now, so here we are talking, this is the 100th episode of uh, the podcast. Uh, Joel has done a, just an incredible job. Joel and, and Philip have done an incredible job of putting up Thank a, you. a lot of content, a lot of content. That was, you know, that was really the thing when, uh, when I took over the site in 2013 that that was my goal uh, my goal was just just try to get up content if you can get up 
you know, even marginally quality content, just but on a regular basis where you're you're always putting up stuff. You know, people will make a point of coming checking your site out. It's you know, it's it's sort of like and I you know you you mentioned other things. You mentioned tape doesn't lie, but that I mean that's where pistols firing. If you look at their model and how they really started uh, driving activity, it was the daily bullets. I mean that was that was the calling every day. Every I mean every Oklahoma State fan on the planet, uh, you know, went to check out the daily bullets because it was regular, consistent uh, content being posted, and you didn't have to tweet it out. People just knew, and they were going to go to your site. And when and when you're putting up you know, good regular content. People come to the site. It's worthwhile. I mean, I listened to almost every one of these things, and uh, and it's fantastic. You guys do a, a great job, and I'm I'm proud to be called. Uh, if if people haven't heard this before, you know, in the Slack chat, uh, my my uh, I don't know what you my uh, not my Abby my uh, username. my user. Well, my username, my nickname. My nickname in our Slack chat is CRFF Grandfather. Uh, you know, no pun intended for the fact that I'm old enough to be some probably somebody's grandfather that's involved in the conversation. <laughs> but um, it's it's pretty great to see folks continuing to contribute and contribute regularly and put up really quality uh, you know content on the site it's just it's it's good to see because we're because folks are doing it uh because of their love for doing it uh you know this is you definitely not doing it because we're getting paid <laughs> no that's, that's for damn sure i'll tell you that but no like th this has been one of the coolest experiences i've had i did a little bit of stuff last year doing a little bit of the live video periscope facebook live and i realized like i like writing and that's great and all but i'd much rather just talk because that's really what I do 95% of the time anyways is talk about sports. And can, if I get to do it on airwaves and people listen and people enjoy, then maybe I'm doing something right. So this has been a lot of fun. I've done 40 episodes of this. It's been worthwhile every single time I hit record. And Robert, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. You kind of helped, helped spearhead this thing. And, you know, you, you led the site and all that. So I had to get you on here to kind of give a little bit of a blowout here for episode number 100. So thank you very much for coming on. This has been a fun conversation. And Philip and I, when we started this, you know, when we started co-hosting this thing was we're going to try and be about 20 or 30 minutes, just a quick <laughs> little burst. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're running pretty close to an hour at this point, but it's not like it's been us rambling most of the time. This has been a really fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Before we wrap up, plug your, uh, your Twitter here real quick for anyone that cares to follow your Oklahoma State tweets. If you if you care to follow my Oklahoma State stuff, it's Robert W underscore OKST. Robert W underscore OK State, basically, OKST. Uh, and I would say this, you know, length of podcast is either over or underrated here. It's quality of the content. Tape doesn't lie. Regularly goes like an hour and a half close to it. Uh, and so if you're putting quality stuff out there, people are going to listen. Don't, you know, don't you, you folks that are listening, don't ever have, if these guys go over 20 minutes, don't start turning them off. You got to listen to this stuff. This is good stuff. And FYI, keep, keep an ear out folks. Cause Joel is going to be making a guest appearance on another podcast here soon. So you want to be keeping, uh, keeping your ears out for that. Yeah, I might as well just preview it now because this is actually going out on Wednesday morning. So hopefully y'all are listening then. But uh, at some point later this week, uh, I'm actually doing a joint podcast with the Tape Doesn't Lie guys, Mitch Gift and Adam Lund. We're going to talk about kind of the stuff that Robert and I mentioned at the, here at the end of this episode with Sean Gleason and Charlie Dickey and what that's going to mean to the Oklahoma State offense for the 2019 season. I'm really excited about it. I love listening to their podcasts, listening to every single one. I've I've tweeted this out probably five times during the season. If you've never listened to Adam and Mitch talk about and break down Oklahoma State games, you're doing yourself a disservice. They are so good at what they do, breaking down the game Incredible. analytically, way better than I ever could. I love the game, but man, they know it on a level that's, you know, way superior to me. So I'm going to sound like the dummy here on this next episode, but you know, you at least get to listen to them more than me. So that's the good thing here. 
Uh, but you can follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. Also, if you're a Royals fan, follow at Royals Farm. I've got an interview with about th- uh, podcast about three interviews coming up later this week, including a top prospect in the Royals system. So hopefully uh, you guys get to listen to that. Thank you very much, everyone that's listened to the previous 99 episodes, even before I got there when Kate and Dustin were doing this thing. Uh, It's been a wild ride. It's been so much fun. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you to everyone, and we will see you on the next episode.